Relations Committee will come to order. We're here to consider nominations for four important positions. Senator Jeff Flake to be Ambassador to Turkey, Ambassador Mark Gittenstein to be the U.S. Representative to the European Union, Ms. Cindy McCain to be the U.S. Representative to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture, and Governor Jack Markell to be U.S. Representative to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD. So congratulations on all your nominations, as well as to your families who are part of the sacrifice in this process. We certainly appreciate them as well. The four of you have a distinguished history of public service and advocacy, and I appreciate your willingness to serve the country in this capacity. I understand that Senator Coons will be introducing Senator Flake in a great grand show of bipartisanship at a time that is difficult to achieve it here. Uh, and Governor Markell, uh, and that Senator Graham, uh, who we welcome back to the committee, he left us precipitously, uh, will be introducing uh, Ms. McCain. So Senator Coons. Um, thank you very much, Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch. Uh, before uh, proceeding with more detailed introductions, I ask unanimous consent to add a statement uh, from my predecessor, former Senator Ted Kaufman, uh, a detailed statement of introduction and support of Mark Gittenstein to serve as U.S. Ambassador to the EU. Without objection, and so ordered. And I join Senator Kaufman in um, urging support um, for um, Mark Gittenstein, who I know will be a very capable uh, and experienced ambassador, his second term of service uh, as an ambassador to now an entire region, so critical to all of us. I've known Jack and his wonderful wife, Carla, for 32 years. Uh, in Delaware, we pride ourselves in being able to work together. We're a state of neighbors, a state that cares about solving problems and doing the right thing, and no one epitomizes that more than our former governor and state treasurer, Jack Markell. As state treasurer for 10 years, governor for eight years, Jack's been guided by strong values and a sharp intellect. His passion for helping others is rooted in his faith and strengthened when, at age 17, he had a chance to travel to India and to see profound inequality and deep poverty. And in the decade since, he has built a remarkable record of achievement of creating opportunity, of not just talking the talk, but of taking effective action. Across two, de two decades in leadership, he led innovative financial literacy and banking access initiatives, managed a severe fiscal crisis that affected our whole country, but did so responsibly in Delaware, helped grow our local economy, and showed real vision in creating new opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. He helped create Pathways to Prosperity in the state of Delaware, a national model for helping workplace experience and college uh, credit opportunities for young people, um, and launched one of the best uh, language immersion programs uh, in kindergarten. He has a deep understanding of the private sector and economic development. He has an MBA from the University of Chicago and created, helped launch and create the telecom company Nextel, um, a company now valued at $35 billion. So he understands uh, both how to solve complex problems and how the United States can work uh, with our OECD partners to put in place policies to create conditions for economic growth. He led both the Democratic Governors Association and the National Governors Association, and today he is leading Operation Allies Welcome, the resettlement of thousands of the Afghan partners who served alongside us in our 20 years in conflict, a dedicated and capable public servant with the experience, intelligence, and character to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the OECD. I look forward to supporting him not just in his nomination, but in his service, and urge my colleagues to do the same. 
Now, Mr. Chairman, if I might, I'm also honored to introduce my friend and our former colleague, Senator Jeff Flake. Se Senator Flake, to be clear, is a conservative Republican from Arizona, and I am a Democrat from Delaware. In the six years we served alongside each other, we voted on the opposite way of virtually every vote we ever took in the Senate. But during those six years, I came to know Jeff as an honorable man, as a principled public servant, as a patriotic American, and a loyal friend. We traveled together to more than a dozen countries, West Africa, East Africa, Northern Europe. We had the bonding moment of both being chased by elephants in Mozambique. We worked together on legislation to protect wildlife from trafficking, to protect the rule of law on the Judiciary Committee, to promote free and fair elections and economic reforms in Zimbabwe, where he did his mission service. Senator Flake has long championed American leadership around the world by promoting the rule of law, protecting human rights, and through strong international agreements. And his deep sense of right and wrong hasn't wavered. I'm confident that his commitment and character, thoughtfulness, and skills will serve him well in a very demanding post as ambassador to Turkey, where his abilities will be greatly needed to navigate difficult security issues, and one where his service will reinforce the importance of bipartisanship in foreign policy. I know he will be even more successful with his amazing wife, Cheryl, by his side, and I look forward to supporting Senator Flake's nomination and encourage my colleagues to do so as well. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, uh, Senator Coons. Um, I noticed you said you're a Democrat from Delaware. You didn't define what type of Democrat from Delaware, but in any event. Uh, are, there types? are there different types? Well, he said, he said Senator Flake was a conservative Republican, so I thought maybe he wanted to share some light. <clears throat> we have to have a little fun here, otherwise it's tough to get through the day. Uh, to our dear colleague, uh, Senator Graham. Glad to be back, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, our good friend, uh, Chris Coons, is a short Democrat from <laughs> Delaware. Wow. As I'm a short Republican from <laughs> South Carolina, we literally see eye to eye on everything. Uh, so I just want to let the committee know, when Cindy called me last week and asked me to introduce her to the committee, I stopped for a second and thought, wow. I'm very proud to do it. Um, I know uh, John's looking down with pride. Uh, President Biden chose wisely. She's being nominated to be the ambassador to the United Nations Agency for Food and Agriculture in Rome. So all of us will be visiting you. <laughs> uh, I'm very familiar with this program because uh, along with Senator Coons, uh, I'm the vice chairman of the uh, Senate Foreign uh, Senate Appropriations Committee that deals with the State Department's budget and the United Nations budget. And the World Food Program just received the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, that is uh, run by David Beasley, the former governor of South Carolina. They received the, the Nobel Peace Prize because the World Food Program has made a huge difference. With the advent of war and climate change, there are so many people in this world not knowing where the next meal comes from. And the World Food Pro Program has stepped up the plate and the American taxpayer should be proud. The agency that uh, Cindy's been nominated to lead as an ambassador, I think is the key to this whole problem. It's one thing to provide meals, it's another thing to provide the ability to grow your own food. And um, 
Senator Risch, I am going to be all in working with this committee as an appropriate along with Senator Coons to beef up the capability of people throughout the world in impoverished regions to be able to farm as if it were the 21st century, not the 18th century. Cindy has a heck of a resume. Uh, I think we all know Cindy in a variety of roles. She's been a public figure for a long time, but to those who haven't followed her career, uh, you should have. She has been deeply involved in the human trafficking scourge of the planet. She has been to the developing world, particularly Africa, numerous times, uh, dealing with women issues and humanitarian problems, but I know her best from traveling with her where we went to Africa with the Gates Foundation and others to look at how to modernize farming practices. We visited a, a, a woman who had two daughters, uh, basically uh, farming uh, with her two daughters, and the Gates Foundation Department of Agriculture was trying to provide her with seeds that were more drought resistant and over time to increase her family's capability to feed itself and actually earn money. So I'm excited about this part of the World Food Program, this agency, and I want to pledge to Cindy that uh, I'm going to do everything I can to increase uh, your capability to provide the best farming practices for those people who are on the bubble in terms of being able to live and those people in dire situations to turn their lives around. And one thing that Cindy and I were talking about was water. Water is the new oil. And this agency, I think, is going to be very aggressive in how to manage water and make sure that we get the, the, the best utilization of water exists and desalinization programs where it doesn't. So, Mr. Chairman, uh, Senator Risch, uh, we're going to be talking to you a lot about the, the portfolio uh, under Cindy's control. And I just end with this. I've never known a more decent, capable person in my life. An ambassador is supposed to represent America uh, in the best fashion. I think the two nominees here today that I know, Jeff and Cindy, will be the best advocates for American interest in Turkey, and I can assure you that when Cindy McCain shows up in a room anywhere in the world, people already know her, they respect her, and she'll be a great face for America. And working with uh, Governor Beasley, we're going to turn this world around when it comes to feeding people. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Senator Graham. Uh, I know that both of our colleagues have uh, other obligations, and so they should feel free uh, to, to leave when uh, they need to. Uh, let me turn to uh, our nominees. Um, Senator Flake, welcome back to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Um, given Turkey's aggressive actions in the region, as well as the repressive tactics used by the Erdogan regime against its own people at home, we need an ambassador who will not hesitate to hold Turkey accountable and will push it to live up to the principles that undergird NATO membership, individual liberty, democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. Erdogan's repression is unbefitting of a democracy and unbefitting of a NATO ally. Democracies don't jail journalists, intimidate academics, and infringe upon freedom of religion. They don't renege on their commitments to stop violence against women and they don't put political opponents in prison. So Senator, you'll have your work cut out for you, and I look forward to hearing how you plan to address some of these challenges uh, awaiting in Ankara. Ambassador Gittenstein, we welcome your nomination to this post at a critical time in the transatlantic relationship. 
Liban for, between the United States and the European Union has been tested in recent years. Uh, former President Trump repeatedly mocked our European allies while sabotaging the strategic relationship at seemingly every turn. I believe that close ties between Brussels and Washington are not just in our national interests, but in the interests of democracies everywhere. Going forward, smart diplomacy, careful coordination with our European allies will be critical to dealing with the challenges we both face, whether it be Russia's ambitions in Eastern Europe, China's growing soft power influence and investment in the Balkans, or Turkey's aggressive behavior in the Eastern Mediterranean. Having an ambassador who works with our European allies will be an important first step. As Nord Stream 2 continues to be a concern, I hope you'll develop a strategy with our European friends on a comprehensive energy plan that shields Europe from extortion at the hands of the Kremlin. In short, we need someone with your knowledge, expertise, and proven record as a diplomat in Brussels as quickly as possible. Ms. McCain, congratulations on your nomination. I admire your years of advocacy for vulnerable peoples around the world, including your commitment to combating human trafficking globally. You shared that powerful commitment with your husband of almost 40 years and our much admired and missed colleague, Senator John McCain. For these reasons, I believe you're a superb choice to serve as the U.S. Representative to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture. The challenges these U.N. agencies face today, as you and I discussed yesterday, are enormous. In this year alone, the number of people in need of urgent food assistance is expected to reach 270 million people, double that of 2020. Conflict and instability continue to push millions of people into acute food insecurity. Climate change threatens food production, and the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change exacerbate the situation even further. Your role at the UN Food and Agricultural Organizations of the utmost importance in supporting the United Nations work to eradicate poverty, hunger, food insecurity, and promote sustainable agriculture-led economic growth. Your strong leadership will be essential to empowering, supporting, and guiding these agencies in this critical work. Governor Markell, congratulations on your nomination. Appreciate your service, uh, not only as the governor of Delaware, but most recently at the White House coordinator for Operation Allies. At a time of growing nationalistic sentiment, we have to remain at the leadership of international economic and financial institutions, not abdicate that role. We have to work with our allies to create a stronger, more inclusive global economy that benefits everyone. The OECD is an important tool for U.S. diplomacy. Together with uh, OECD member states, which account for 63% of the world's GDP and three-quarters of all of the world trade, we can confront the challenges of a global economy. So I look forward to hearing how you plan to approach the OECD upon your confirmation and how you use your position to advance U.S. interests such as free markets and good governance in the liberal international order. With that, let me turn to our distinguished ranking member for his opening comments, Senator Risch. Thank you. Thanks very much, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate that. Good morning, and uh, uh, thank you, all four of you, for your willingness to serve in these uh, capacities and to your families, as noted by the Chairman, that uh, families certainly share the sacrifice. On uh, the nomination of the ambassador to the European Union, the EU is one of the world's key economic unions, and its regulatory regimes are increasingly attempting to set standards for the world. This week, the U.S. EU Trade and Technology Council will meet for the first time in Pittsburgh. There are a lot of trade and regulatory issues to discuss, 
and the results, or lack thereof, are likely to impact our joint ability to stand up against China's predatory trade practices, with which we are all familiar. I was very glad to see that last year the EU and U.S. started a U.S.-EU dialogue on China. We need to use these discussions to start advancing shared priorities and policies, including those raised in my recent report on transatlantic cooperation on China. Sadly, European leaders have grown louder in their calls for strategic autonomy, an idea in which uh, European Union nations uh, should decrease their interconnection with the U.S. or contribute to an EU member-only military force. Proponents of this movement claim it will enhance NATO capabilities and will allow Europe to engage in military operations that are outside of U.S. interests. I remain concerned that it will, in fact, deepen divisions within NATO. Europe uh, is and uh, will continue to be one of our closest allies. There are very few places on the planet where our culture uh, and our values uh, are as congruent as they are with our European friends. As uh, together, they, their population is uh, much equivalent to the United States, and it's going to take the work of uh, both in order to stand up to uh, the 1.5 billion people of China. Finally, the Balkan nations are under heavy pressure from China and Russia, which could be better resisted if there was greater integration with the rest of Europe. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on all of these important issues. On the nomination of Ambassador to Turkey, the relationship between the United States and Turkey has been at an impasse over Turkey's purchase and deployment of Russian S-400 missile launchers. As everyone knows, the system is not in interoperable with NATO, and Erdogan uh, not understandably insists on buying. Uh, it has uh, the, the S-400 missiles, and uh, which makes collaboration with, the, uh, with NATO more difficult at best. Erdogan has claimed that we wouldn't sell them the, uh, uh, the Patriots uh, that are uh, in the same class as the Russian uh, S-400. Uh, we know that's not true. So, uh, Senator Shaheen and I delivered a, a letter in 2012 to the Turks at the time they were shopping, telling them they should buy, and we were ready to deliver as many as they needed. Uh, Erdogan uh, shrugged when I handed him that letter. The human rights situation in Turkey also remains difficult. Turkey is one of the highest jailers of journalists and opposition activists in Eurasia and has uh, persecuted multiple locally employed staff of our U.S. missions there. This is not acceptable. To be fair, Turkey uh, was a key collaborator in Afghanistan and our military-to-military contacts remain strong. Mi Turkey also continues to host millions of Syrian refugees and its cooperation is key delivering aid and assistance to Syria. Uh, Senator Flake, I know that uh, you'll be able to straighten these matters out and uh, happy to be sending you to Turkey to do so. On the nomination of ambassador to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, for 60 years the OECD has been an important part of our foreign economic policy. As China seeks uh, OECD membership, it is important our ambassador understands the challenges we face today from a rising China that promotes a socialist model. This model seeks to undermine and replace the private sector growth model that has lifted hundreds of millions, indeed billions of people out of poverty around the world and has led to the greatest period of prosperity in human history. Today, many regret letting China into the WTO. We should not repeat past mistakes. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this matter and to working with you to meet this challenge head on. On the nomination of ambassador to the United Nations Agencies 
for food and agriculture. The United States is the most generous donor of humanitarian assistance globally. We need a strong and capable representative to the UN agencies in Rome, the World Food Program, the Food and Agriculture Organization, and the International Fund for Agricultural Development to ensure that these agencies are as efficient and effective as possible so we can spread our assistance further and save more lives. Additionally, our representative must fight against malign Chinese influence in the UN. I believe you're up to the task, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on these matters. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Senator Rich. With that, we'll start with our nominee's uh, testimony. We ask you to summarize your testimony in about five minutes. Your full statements will be included in the record without objection. And uh, we'll start with Governor Mark and work our way down, Ambassador, Senator, Mrs. McCain. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I'd like to start by thanking Senator Coons for his uh, generous uh, introduction. Uh, the Senator and Annie have been great friends of Carla and, and mine uh, for three decades, as he mentioned. And we're all incredibly proud of the work he is doing uh, in the U.S. Senate for the people of Delaware and the country. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Risch, and members of the committee, uh, it's an honor uh, to appear as a nominee to be the U.S. representative to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And I'm grateful to President Biden and to Secretary Blinken for their confidence. Uh, I'm indebted to my family, who have played an important role in my being here, my wife Carla, who is with me today, our kids Molly and Michael, as well as my mom and sister and her family. I'm also grateful to my father and brother, who are no longer with us, as well as to my brother's family. We are at an inflection point in human history, with democratic norms receding in many parts of the world and the global economic system under strain from COVID-19. The OECD has long been a forum to advance our common values and demonstrate what democracies can deliver. But the United States and our allies must continue to demonstrate that democracy, human rights, free markets, and capitalism better deliver growth and innovation and a good quality of life for all our citizens. The more we show that, as Secretary Blinken has said, the more we can refute the lie that authoritarian countries love to tell. The OECD provides the policy rationale that underlies our economic system and magnifies our voice. As President Biden has said, we are in competition with China and other countries to win the 21st century. We have to do more than just build back better. We have to compete more strenuously. Chairman Menendez and Ranking Member Risch, you deserve enormous credit for your bipartisan work on the Strategic Competition Act, which strengthens the U.S. response and abilities to confront the threat of the PRC. The world's authoritarian regimes are trying to show the world that their autocratic systems of single-party rule and state-driven economics deliver better results. The OECD is so important given the democratic community's ongoing competition with the world's autocratic and authoritarian regimes. I believe I come to the committee with the right package of skills and experiences to advocate on behalf of the United States. After graduating from Brown University, I earned an MBA from the University of Chicago. My private sector career was primarily focused on telecommunications. As Senator Coons mentioned, I helped lead the wireless revolution as the 13th employee and senior vice president at Nextel. I had long been interested in a career in public service. I always believed that my country had given me enormous opportunities, and I wanted to play a role in ensuring that similar opportunities are available to future generations. As governor, I was concerned about the impacts of globalization and automation. I knew that the states and the countries that out-educate today will out-compete 
tomorrow. That's why I've worked hard to ensure that our children had opportunities to thrive in school. For those who wanted to go to college, my team worked to secure opportunities for them to do so, even when they couldn't afford it. And we also recognized that many of our young people wanted to go directly to work, so we created terrific new programs to help them do exactly that with the skills needed for good-paying jobs. Good jobs are the best way to solve social problems. I served as chair of the Bipartisan National Governors Association. I learned so much from my colleagues of both parties. And I imagine that the former governors on this committee also had the chance to learn from and share with their colleagues when they served as governors. Although governors compete with each other to deliver the best economic climate for their constituents, we realize that our states do better when the US does better. And that's one reason OECD is so important. I'll close on a personal note. Both of my parents were first-generation Americans. My dad signed up to fight in the Army during World War II at the earliest opportunity, and he served proudly in Europe. My grandparents left Belarus, Latvia, and Lithuania at the turn of the 20th century, seeking a better life in the United States. It would have been beyond my grandparents' wildest imagination when they left Eastern Europe that their grandson would have the opportunity to serve Delaware as governor and then potentially our country as the U.S. representative to a multilateral institution that fosters prosperity for all. They came to the United States in the first place seeking exactly that. It would be an extraordinary honor to play a small part in shaping policies that provide those same benefits for future generations. Thank you. Thank you. Ambassador? Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Rick. If you could just put your microphone on, please. There you go. Is it on? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, and distinguished members of the committee, I am deeply honored by President Biden's nomination to be U.S. Ambassador to the European Union. If confirmed, serving as this nation's ambassador to the EU would culminate my work with the President, beginning with our days together as young men when I joined his Senate staff in the 1970s, to four, days, four decades later in my recent work as U.S. Ambassador to Romania <clears throat> during the Obama-Biden administration. First, I want to acknowledge my family's role in making my appearance here possible. My late parents and grandparents taught me that patriotism and my Jewish faith are the guideposts of my actions. My sisters taught me that independent, intelligent women are the light of the world. My children and grandchildren prove that our future is bright because the next generation is undaunted by many of the challenges we face. Most of all, my wife Libby, who is with me here today, my partner and the love of my life, who still believes in me, especially at those moments when a touch on the shoulder and a word of reassurance are essential. I grew up in Alabama and graduated from high school in Birmingham when the United States was confronting its own crisis in democracy during the 1960s. As I pursued my undergraduate degree in history from Duke, I watched with awe and pride as the civil rights movement gained its footing against Bull Connor and George Wallace. In my summers, I worked with reform-minded politicians in Alabama and in the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division acting in my home state to dismantle segregated schools. I came to understand in a very vivid way 
how a strong constitution and civil rights protections in a federated system can bring democratic and Republican principles to the rule of law in a recalcitrant locale. This experience drove my passion as ambassador in Romania to help the EU strengthen democracy and free markets in Romania, and taught me how in 21st century Europe, the EU continues to hold dear its founding documents and values. I know firsthand how the United States, working with multilateral and regional organizations, especially the EU, can strengthen democracy, build free markets, and act as a bulwark against autocracy. If confirmed, I promise to carry forward those values and principles both to the U.S. mission at the U.N. and to the work of the EU itself. One other aspect of my history is also relevant. My father's family was Moldovan and Romanian, my mother's Polish and Austrian. Going to the EU, like serving in Bucharest, is a return to my family's roots. I do so with great humility, recognizing that we have as much to learn from the Europeans and the EU as they do from us. If confirmed, my, my top goal will be right, revitalizing and raising the level of ambition in the US-EU relationship and supporting the deep and ongoing cooperation between the United States and the EU at all levels, including between the Congress and the European Parliament. I will work to advance the agenda President Biden and his EU counterparts set at the June 2020 2021 US-EU summit. This includes working together to end the COVID-19 pandemic and prepare for future global health challenges, protecting our planet and fostering green growth, strengthening our trade, investment, and technological cooperation, and building a more democratic, peaceful, and secure world. The US-EU Trade and Technology Council meeting taking place tomorrow in Pittsburgh and our joint pledge earlier this month to reduce global methane emissions are two perfect examples of the kind of values-driven, future-focused cooperation with the EU that I would prioritize as ambassador if confirmed. In a very real sense, both the EU and the United States are evolving dynamic experiments in democracy, both to seek to form a more perfect union. While at different stages, neither side is finished with its work. I can think of no greater privilege than to be part of what President Biden calls the challenge of our generation, proving that democracy and strong independent institutions are the best form of government. They are indeed the shortest and surest route to the pursuit of happiness. I know from my experience in Romania that serving an ambassador is a great challenge, but it is also one of the best jobs in government. If confirmed, I will use that position to strengthen US-EU relations and build support for the administration's foreign policy in the interests of all Americans. Thank you, and I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you. Senator Flake. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, members of the committee, thank you for this opportunity to appear before you today. It's an honor to be nominated as US Ambassador to Turkey. I'm grateful for the trust that the President and Secretary of State Blinken have placed in me. I have the greatest respect for this committee. It was my home when I was in the Senate. I've served with most of you. I know of your experience, your expertise, your deep commitment to the national interest. If confirmed, I look forward to maintaining a close, consultative relationship with each of you. 
I'd like to start by thanking my family, my wife, Cheryl, and our five children, Ryan, Alexis, Austin, Tanner, and Dallin. They've sacrificed much through the years and yet still have managed to continually assume the best and look for the good. I'm more grateful than I can express. I should note that uh, more than 30 years ago, uh, when we were in college, my wife was part of a singing, dancing, touring group at BYU called the Young Ambassadors. And they traveled to Turkey. So when I was asked if I might want to be ambassador to Turkey, Cheryl said, I suppose it's your time now. <laughs> but I look forward to traveling with her and can't wait for the Turkish people to meet my wife, Cheryl. I'm well aware that if confirmed, I will be the first political appointee to this position in more than 40 years. I will arrive at a particularly pivotal moment in U.S.-Turkey relations. The United States has a long-standing and complex relationship with Turkey, a NATO ally for nearly 70 years. There are areas where our interests inter intersect and where we are firmly aligned. There are areas where we profoundly disagree. As this committee is well aware, we have for decades worked closely with Turkey to advance our national security interests from Korea to Afghanistan and beyond. Our partnership with Turkey enables us to defend NATO's eastern flank and project U.S. power in the region. But our interests extend beyond the security realm. Turkey is an important economic partner, hosting more than 1,900 U.S. companies, including some of our largest and most recognized brands. And the United States is Turkey's fourth largest source of imports. If confirmed, I look forward to robustly fostering this vital economic relationship. Having said that, our relationship also faces profound challenges. Despite the United States' efforts to address Turkey's security needs, Turkey still chose to purchase and test fire the Russian S-400 system. This action ran counter to the commitments all allies made at the 2016 NATO summit and rightly triggered Turkey's removal from the F-35 program and the imposition of CATSA sanctions. If confirmed, I will consistently reiterate that disposing of this system is the path to removing CATSA sanctions. I will also warn Turkey that any future purchase of Russian weapons risks triggering further CATSA sanctions in addition to those already imposed. At the same time, we should encourage Turkey to purchase U.S. defense items that keep the Turkish military interoperable with NATO. If confirmed, I look forward to working with this committee to determine what defense trade with Turkey is in the U.S. national interest. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, as we all know, the authoritarian anti-democratic impulse is resurgent in the world. There is no value that defines us more as Americans than the rights of free people to determine the course of their lives and the destiny of their countries. In my career, I've not hesitated to speak out on such issues. I'm troubled by Ankara's democratic backsliding and the negative trajectory in terms of freedom of expression, freedom of association, and peaceful assembly in Turkey. Restoring the full freedoms of the Turkish people is a good in and of itself, and rebuilding confidence in the rule of law in Turkey would go a long way toward expanding the potential for further economic investment and international partnerships. If confirmed, 
I will challenge Turkey to uphold its domestic and international human rights commitments while also pushing Turkey to live up to its status as a NATO ally. While some of Turkey's recent actions have advanced U.S. interests in the Middle East, Mediterranean, and Black Sea, other actions have been destabilizing and unhelpful. If confirmed, I will encourage Turkey to support efforts to find a sustainable long-term solution to the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan and encourage peaceful and, and diplomatic resolutions to disagreements in the Eastern Mediterranean. Despite the very real challenges to U.S.-Turkish relations, Turkey is an indispensable ally, anchored in NATO and acting as both a bridge and a buffer to a region in constant flux. Our national interest is served when the United States and Turkey work together to confront the very real threats to global peace and security that emanate from Russia, from Iran, and elsewhere in the region. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, members of the committee, if confirmed, I am committed to working with you as both former and future colleagues to advance our national interests. And I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Ms. McCain. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, and the distinguished members of the committee. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I am honored to be here. Sitting here in the place that my husband John loved the most is a little bit bittersweet for me. Senator Graham, although he's not here now, thank you for all that you said, your kind words. It's, we're so lucky to have him as part of our family. I'm pleased to join my colleagues on this panel today, especially Senator Jeff Flake. Both our family and the entire state of Arizona are grateful for your leadership and for your friendship. I'm grateful and honored to be President Biden's nominee as a United States representative to the United Nations Food and Agricultural Agencies in Rome. I hope to bring honor, civility, and transparency to the role that you have entrusted me to accept. One in three people globally don't have access to enough food, and it simply said is not okay. I plan to spend my time, if confirmed, working tirelessly to lower that number. I would be honored to help advance U.S. values and worldwide global food security efforts. The goal is simple to state, but very difficult to achieve. Alleviate hunger and promote agricultural development to increase food access and stability for the hundreds of millions of food insecure around the world. I'm very optimistic that with the partners and team we currently have in place in Rome and around the world, we can build on all of the already impressive accomplishments in this arena. There has never been a more important time for the U.S. leadership on food and agricultural issues, both within the U.N. agencies and around the world. I've been working on humanitarian issues the majority of my adult life. My parents taught me that as a woman, I could do anything. My husband, though, instilled, me, instilled in me the desire to serve a cause greater than myself. I've had the opportunity to pull landmines out of the ground in Mozambique, Angola, and Cambodia. I've worked on school feeding programs in Congo and Uganda. 
I've, also, I've been able to elevate the plight of Syrian refugees in Greece, Jordan, Turkey, and Lebanon as they fled conflict for, in their home country. I've battled human trafficking, not only here in the United States, but in Southeast Asia and in Europe. Early in my humanitarian journey, I led a group of medical professionals to multiple conflict zones. I have witnessed firsthand what hunger, conflict, and the ravages of natural disaster can do to communities and families. <clears throat> I have seen UN agencies at their best and at their worst. <clears throat> Excuse me. If confirmed, I will welcome your guidance and wisdom on how best to represent U.S. policies and priorities in Rome. There are certain things that I look forward to focusing on. Being from Arizona, water has always been an issue. I would like to focus on the intersection of access to water and agricultural needs. I hope to promote American thought leadership, innovation, and technology so others may use less water to feed more people. I will also focus on representing and fostering U.S. values and integrity. We need to guard against malign actors in the U.N. system and hold others accountable for good governance and transparency. I take very seriously my role in ensuring that the U.S. taxpayer money is, is not being misused or misspent, and will work to reduce redundancy, sharpen focus, and improve, improve efficiency. The U.S. leadership in this fight against hunger is a tribute to the work of this committee and our workers on the ground around the world. But government contributions just aren't enough to take on all of the current global crises we face. I would like to expand public-private partnerships to bring both new ideas and new donors to fight hunger and food insecurity. I look forward to developing new relationships as we develop local economies and fight poverty. I've seen firsthand the use of hunger as a weapon in conflict. It, it is simply unacceptable. It goes against everything we stand for as a country. And I would like to use the reach and the power of our diplomacy to ensure no person goes hungry at the hands of another person. Finally, I'd like to close by paying a brief tribute to my late husband and your former colleague, John McCain, and to the great causes of his decades of service, human dignity, his efforts to defend human rights wherever they were denied, and to advance the values of our democracy to every corner on earth were undertaken to serve that one end, respect for the dignity of every human life. John believed he has as, had as much dignity as any other person on the earth, but not one measure more. And he felt a personal responsibility to those of his fellow human beings who suffered oppression and deprivation. Should I be confirmed, we would uh, he would expect me to use my opportunity to serve the same end. And I will do my very best to do so and hope that he would be proud of me. Thank you, and I welcome any questions. <clears throat> Thank you, Ms. McCain. I'm sure he will be. Uh, let me, before I start my questions, uh, uh, ask questions uh, on behalf of the committee as a whole. 
these are questions that speak to the importance that this committee places on responsiveness by all officials in the executive branch and that we expect and will be seeking from each of you. So I'd ask each of you to provide a simple yes or no answer to the following questions. Do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? Yes. 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 Do you commit to keep the committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes. 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 Uh, do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Yes. 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 And lastly, do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes. 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 Okay, thank you. All of the nominees have answered yes to all four questions. So we'll start a round of five uh, minutes. I'll start off with myself. Uh, Senator Flake, uh, uh, for many decades, the Armenian genocide has been denied by the descendants of those who perpetrated it. In 2019, the Senate recognized the Armenian Genocide for the first time. In April of this year, on Armenian Remembrance Day, President Biden joined us in acknowledging this truth. Uh, in the past, you voted against resolutions which recognize the genocide. Uh, will you join this body and the administration in reaffirming uh, the Armenian Genocide? Yes. Thank you. If you uh, are confirmed, uh, will you reiterate that commitment uh, on April 24th, which is Armenian uh, Genocide Remembrance Day? I will. Thank you. Uh, we've talked here, your own testimony is 400. I must say, um, uh, I, I listened to your statement, uh, and it certainly is more positive than uh, I would have uh, posited as it relates to Turkey. I guess that's the role of uh, a potential ambassador. Uh, I uh, certainly, uh, when we talk about arms sales again, uh, as the committee has jurisdiction over arms sales, I see no arms sales going to Turkey uh, on, unless there is a dramatic change around on the S-400 and moving forward. His latest calls, Erdogan's latest calls for supposedly purchasing more is certainly not an invitation to find a pathway to arms sales from the United States. So uh, I just put that out there uh, as something that is truly concerning to me. I wish it was different. I wish he changed course. Senator Risch uh, spent a lot of time with President Erdogan in the, in the previous administration trying to convince him of a different pathway and uh, was largely rebuffed. Uh, and so I, I think, uh, you know, uh, we've given off ramps to Turkey. Unfortunately, they have chosen not to take it. Uh, so uh, that, that is a concern uh, as well. Uh, if uh, President Erdogan makes additional significant purchases from the Russian defense center, uh, the sector, do um, I assume you will strongly support the imposition of additional CATSA sanctions? I will. As I mentioned in the statement, uh, uh, they need to know that any purchase of additional Russian weapons w will result in additional CATSA sanctions. Thank and uh, these CATSA sanctions uh, will not be lifted until they have disposed of the current system they have. Thank you. More than 35,000 Turkish, 35, Turkish troops remain in northern Cyprus, now almost five days after Turkey first invaded in 1974. Most lately, person, uh, President Erdogan now pushes for a two-state solution, something that is not recognized by the United Nations, something that is not recognized by our government, and uh, flagrantly violates UN 
Security Council resolutions on the occupied section called Verosha. Um, will you commit to speak out uh, publicly and privately uh, in the event that Turkey continues to violate uh, Cyprus's exclusive economic zone? I will. Um, and I was uh, pleased to see after the December visit uh, um, by Erdogan to Cyprus that the United States government spoke out, as did the UN, that uh, any of the action that was contemplated with Verosha, for example, uh, would violate uh, Security Council Resolutions 550 and uh, 789. Thank you, and, and then we'll. Uh, and I look forward to your. You, you said it in your opening statement, so I want to explore it more with you. Other than to say, there are more lawyers and journalists in Turkish jails today than in any other part of the world. That's saying something, considering uh, some parts of the world uh, that are, are are pretty authoritarian. So uh, the question of human rights is something we would expect you uh, to also engage vigorously uh, upon your confirmation. Uh, let me turn to uh, Ambassador Gittenstein. Uh, France's reaction to AUKUS, uh, I understand the uh, French are concerned about the consequences of the economic impact of the um, cancellation of, of their uh, agreement with Australia, not with us. Um, but France is a vital partner in dealing with China and other global challenges. How do you intend to go about strengthening U.S. relationships with European allies like France to work together to meet the China challenge? Well, first of all, I was very pleased to see <clears throat> that the president <clears throat> and President Macron had a, apparently a very good conversation. Uh, they reached some common ground. Uh, and I, if I were confirmed and I were sitting in Brussels right now, I would immediately reach out uh, to the leadership of the EU and to the, the French ambassador and try and build a personal relationship like I did in Romania and try and strengthen those relationships. But to the extent the French intend to pursue a strategy, uh, I think, as uh, the ranking member Rich referred to, in terms of an independent military strategy, it has to be very carefully coordinated with NATO. I have become very friendly with uh, the U.S. ambassador to NATO, the, the proposed U.S. ambassador to NATO, Julie Smith. We intend to meet on a very regular basis and develop a a common message point and platform and communication with the EU on these very issues. So while we want to work with the French, uh, it has to be consistent with our national security needs and especially as it relates to NATO. Thank you. One last question. Uh, what steps will you take to increase pressure on the Kremlin and work more closely with the EU to support, uh, you know, a, a more robust... We, we, we have had a series of economic sanctions and other things for Russians, trans, Russia's transgressions the annexation of Crimea, its constant engagement in Ukraine, its use of chemical weapons against its uh, opponents, uh, and so much more. Uh, but we haven't always been able to get our European uh, allies to join us in a more robust, multilateral approach. Uh, how would you approach that? that With respect to the Russians? Yes. Uh, well, I think this is a vital concern to the United States right now. Um, I'm sure someone is going to ask me sometime later about Nord Stream, and I'd, I would like now, I see I don't have much time to respond to that right now, but I believe that uh, the malign activity of the Russians in the EU, uh, in the European region, has been demonstrable. I've spent most of the last 10 years of my life in and out of Romania and Central and Eastern Europe 
and uh, their efforts are relentless. And they are intended to divide the EU and to divide the EU from us. And it is extremely dangerous. And it is extremely insidious. Uh, I saw it throughout my time as ambassador in Romania, especially on energy issues. And I think the first step in this regard is to build a unified position with respect to energy issues, but a lot more uh, with respect to um, Europe. And so I intend to work very hard on that. And indeed, one of the main reasons I talked to the President and the now Secretary of State about wanting this job was because I saw the power that the EU can play on anti-corruption uh, and energy security if all the players in the EU work together, and especially at the Central and Eastern European countries, as I call the borderlands, which are very much the targets of this effort. And I want to work directly with them and directly with the leadership of the EU on all of these issues. That's yeah. why I want to be the U.S. ambassador to the EU, and I hope you will confirm me. I appreciate your answer. I have questions for the other nominees, but in deference to our colleagues, I'll turn to the ranking member. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Senator Flake, let me say, having known both you and your lovely wife, whoever made the decision to send her instead of you well, with the singing and dancing ambassadors made the right decision. So uh, thanks to whoever made that decision. Well said. <laughs> On a much, much, much more serious note, um, th th this uh, th deterioration of the relationship between Turkey and the United States is, uh, is just heartbreaking, really, for us. They've been uh, a really good... Uh, ally over the years, and uh, we've done such good things with them. The country itself has made, hu it made huge strides in uh, its, its economy and everything else. I, uh, and the, the S-400s, I guess, is the, is the uh, apex of our, our problems, uh, but uh, I hope you will put in your pocket uh, a copy of the letter that Senator Shaheen and I delivered uh, in uh, Ankara in October of 2012 when uh, Turkey was in the process of buying uh, those, uh, the, the kind of missiles they were looking for, um, both uh, Erdogan and the many, many diplomats, uh, ministers, and everything else we've met with from uh, Turkey tell us, oh, no, we, we had to buy the S-400s because you wouldn't sell uh, us the Patriots. Well, Senator Shaheen and I know better than that. Uh, we, we talked... Uh, uh, we we deliver we hand delivered that letter uh, uh, to the uh, foreign minister in Ankara in his home uh, and urged them and the letter itself you can see urges them to buy those. Why they have turned to Russia is absolutely beyond me. Especially when you look at the history uh, between those two countries that is uh, centuries old and the the problems and the animosity they've had. For whatever reason, they just absolutely, uh, Erdogan, and I, and I think this all comes down to Erdogan. I, uh, Erdogan himself just has no interest in, uh, uh, in promoting his relationship with us and with NATO, which is absolutely stunning given the fact that many, many, many nations on the planet would uh, give a whole lot to be part of NATO, and here they are tearing the relationship apart. I've explained to them and uh, others have explained to them that they cannot be uh, part of the military uh, uh, actions that NATO takes or uh, part of the defense system that we've, we've had if they're putting S-400 missiles in their, in their country. It just can't be done. And, uh, and to show you how, how determined they are, they paid for five uh, 
of the uh, F-35s that are sitting here in the United States. Myself and the chairman uh, won't allow those uh, planes to be delivered. We've told them that as long as they got S-400s in the country, they can't have the F-35s. And uh, we're very determined on this. And not only that, they were making 900 parts uh, for the F-35, and, uh, and we pulled those back. And so that, that's how determined they are on this. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time talking with them. And uh, maybe when you come back, you'll have some answers for us. But uh, uh, if I were you, I'd take that letter along so when they try to tell you what, uh, what the facts are, you can show them the facts aren't as they say it. So it's a, it's, it's a real problem, and I and gosh, we'd sure like to welcome Turkey back into the fold, but I think as long as Erdogan's there, I think we've got a serious problem. So uh, good luck, and uh, we'll help you as, uh, as we can. Is that the letter you have in your hand? Well, thank you. I have good for you. right here. <laughs> <laughs> you got my vote, Senator. So, from you and Senator I appreciate Chief. that. Thank you. Um, let's, let's move over. Uh, Governor, uh, uh, China is seeking membership in the OECD, and... Uh, uh, gosh, we uh, we had a real uh, uh, disappointment when uh, they were let into the WTO, uh, and and it's not getting any better. That's for sure. Tell me your thoughts about letting China into the OECD. Uh, thank you for the uh, question. Uh, one of the core strengths of the OECD uh, is the shared values amongst the members: a commitment to democracy, uh, a commitment to a market-oriented economic system. Uh, while there may be some who see the growth in OEC, OECD membership as a metric that matters, uh, I don't. Uh, I think it's incredibly important uh, that we continue to, uh, ha to have allies uh, who maintain those same values. In fact, one of the real strengths of the OECD, uh, the data that they put out, the research that they put out, uh, is that they're very well positioned to call out China uh, on issues that matter, on export subsidies. Uh, credit subsidies, uh, and the like. So um, I, I think we should have an incredibly high bar uh, when it comes to ascension uh, into OECD uh, membership, and that's a position that I'll certainly uh, be taking uh, there and certainly something I'll look forward to con consult with this committee on as well. Well said. I think your description, too, of, uh, of the requirements to be, to, for membership uh, is, is very clear, and it certainly doesn't describe China by uh, it, not even close. So thank, uh, thank you for that. Um, Ambassador uh, uh, Gittenstein, you, uh, you're going to a place where uh, uh, we as Americans uh, have over the years uh, unfortunately not fully appreciated our cousin's uh, view of things and uh, haven't worked as hard as we should to keep this together. Uh, things like the European strategic autonomy discussion uh, is occurring, and, and I think that's tragic. Uh, there's no place on the planet that's uh, uh, closer to us than uh, on values and, uh, and on culture uh, than our friends in Europe. So. Uh, um, I, I, you've got your work cut out for you, but uh, we, we need to convince them that, uh, that with the dangers in the world, with the uh, rising of China, with the uh, malign activity of Russia, there's nothing more important than the strategic relationship between the United States of America and our, and our European cousins. I hope you'll work at that. I'm sorry. Uh, I read your report on China, by the way, and I thought it was excellent. Uh, one of the first things I would do is encourage them to read that report because it makes a very strong case 
uh, for the threat that China presents to uh, the European Union and to the Europe generally, and that um, the notion of developing a common platform between the United States and the EU is important to both the United States and the EU to their strategic interests, and it's extremely important that we reach common ground on these issues, uh, from regulatory issues to strategic issues. And as I said earlier to the chairman's question, um, we can't do anything on military strategic independence without carefully coordinating it with NATO. Thank you very much, Senator Risch. Next, we have Senator Cardin on WebEx. Thank you, Madam Chair, and let me uh, thank all four of our nominees for their willingness to continue to serve our nation. Um, and I particularly also want to thank your families. This really is a, a day for the Senate family with Jeff Blake and Cindy McCain. So it's particularly gratifying to see both of you before us. Uh, and both of you stressed in your opening statements the importance of advancing American values and human rights in the posts that you have been nominated to. Uh, Mrs. McCain, I particularly appreciate your uh, just desire to uh, follow in the late Senator McCain's uh, path in regards to advancing human rights, advancing his legacy and building on his legacy. Uh, I, I miss your, your, your late husband uh, and his passion in the United States Senate and his partnership in advancing so many important issues, including the global Magnitsky Law. And Senator Flake, I very much appreciated our opportunity to have a conversation in regards to Turkey. Uh, as you've heard from many of us, Turkey presents enormous challenges for our relationship. Uh, we, we recognize the strategic importance of Turkey, and we want to build on that relationship. We recognize the important partnership they have in NATO, uh, and, but we cannot allow the security breaches that we've seen. You've already heard from our chairman ranking member on that. I want to drill down a little bit on human rights. As, as uh, Senator Menendez said, they have more uh, uh, journalists in prison than any other country. Uh, it, it, you really can't challenge the Erdogan government and be safe from harassment or arrest. What is your strategy to advance uh, democratic values and human rights in Turkey as uh, our representative in Turkey um, when you are confirmed? Well, thank you. Uh, this issue, particularly of press freedom, is uh, one that has uh, been an issue of mine for years during my time in the House and the Senate. And I've spoken out on this on a number of occasions. It is a concern. Uh, Turkey currently uh, detains more journalists than any country but China. Um, that is not consistent with the, the values uh, that, that we all share in terms of plurality or pluralism and uh, religious freedom, press freedom, freedom as, of assembly, a number of issues uh, come to mind. But I, I think that uh, I will, if I am confirmed, uh, continue the practice of speaking truth to power, uh, of, of speaking out and being frank, as our current ambassador has done, and as the State Department and our president has done in this issue. Uh, so that's, that's what I intend to do, is to be frank. As you know, you'll have partners in this committee that will support your efforts and do whatever we can to help. We, we want our embassy to be welcoming to those that are speaking on behalf of human rights uh, within Turkey. Ambassador Gittenstein, I have very much appreciated our conversation and your knowledge and commitment 
uh, in um, a large part of Europe, particularly those in the developing uh, democratic uh, societies. Uh, we have two countries in addition to Turkey that are very much backsliding on uh, democratic uh, values and institutions in Hungary and in Poland. Tell me what you learned from Romania and how you would apply that uh, to dealing with strengthening democratic institutions in those parts of Europe where we're seeing a backsliding. Well, thank you for that question, Senator. Um, well, first of all, I, I've discussed this extensively with the president uh, over the last five or six years. He knows about the work that I did in Romania, and he feels very strongly that one of the primary goals of his foreign policy is to uh, stand up to autocracies wherever they occur. And as you and I discussed, if we can't get this right in the EU, we probably can't get it right anywhere. And I think one of the most encouraging things that's happening within the EU is that they are conditioning their EU structural funds on reporting requirements as they relate to uh, the rule of law and anti-corruption. And I saw in Romania how valuable that is because as you know, Romania was admitted to the EU on condition, uh, which is known as the Cooperation Verification Mechanism, which is a benchmarking and reporting system that has worked, worked quite well in Romania. And it should work well uh, in Hungary and Poland. Uh, and uh, this will depend entirely on whether the, uh, the EU continues to press for the conditions they have set uh, on those funds. And as an ambassador, I will certainly argue for that. Thank you very Thank you. much, Senator Cardin. Um, next, we have Senator Young on WebEx. Um, actually, I am told he is not ready, so we'll go to Senator Coons. Well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, let me just thank all four of you uh, for your willingness to continue serving our nation. Uh, we've known each other in various roles in various ways over decades or over years, uh, and I know each of you to be a person of great skill and character and capability, and you are going uh, to places where we need you, and we need to continue to reinforce that America sends its best and brightest to represent us uh, around the world. I'm excited to hear how your work together uh, with the EU in the OECD and in partnership with our NATO ambassador uh, will reinforce our values. Senator Flake, you're going to have quite a challenge dealing uh, with Turkey uh, and trying to strike a balance between their dramatic backsliding on human rights and transparency and democracy and uh, our strategic relationship with still trying to uh, bring them, as it were, back into the fold. And uh, Mrs. McCain, we've traveled to many countries together, African countries in particular, and I know your, your passion, your skill, and your determination has already earned the admiration of all of us here uh, for your hard work um, combating human trafficking, uh, fighting for a better future for women and girls, and bringing American values um, that are rooted in our um, shared commitment to democracy uh, to your advocacy around the world. So I look forward to supporting uh, all four of your nominations. If I could briefly, um, both uh, for Ambassador Gittenstein and uh, for Governor Markell, one of the most challenging issues uh, for the global digital economy uh, is determining uh, the right balance <clears throat> when law enforcement authorities should have access to citizens' personal data um, in balancing legitimate security concerns with individual privacy, uh, and in particular, the safety of human rights advocates, minority party politicians in increasingly repressive countries. We referenced uh, in your earlier conversations Hungary, Poland, and others. 
Um, the OECD has often excelled, uh, Governor Markell, at finding sensible solutions and setting implementation standards for democratic governors, part of why I agree with you. We should be very cautious about China's engagement. Um, but on this issue, the OECD's hit a roadblock, and the EU's been reluctant to move multilateral talks forward. Um, as ambassador to the OECD, how would you work together with Ambassador Gittenstein of the EU to balance data privacy and security interests? Uh, thank you for the question, uh, Senator Coons. I, I will say this is one of those issues. Not only are there differences between the U.S. and Europe, there are some, frankly, philosophical differences even within our own country about how this ought to be addressed. Uh, Ambassador Gittenstein and I uh, have, have actually talked a couple times about opportunities to work together. This is one of them. This is actually also an area where I think it would be important to consult uh, with this committee uh, to get your sense of, uh, of this particular uh, issue. Uh, the OECD excels uh, you know, when it's focused on technical issues like standards, data, research, uh, and reports uh, that ensure that the policymakers can make the best possible decisions. Uh, but I do think this is one of those places where there's so much overlap between the work of the OECD, uh, the influence of the European Union, uh, as well as negotiations back home. So uh, Ambassador Gittenstein and I have developed an excellent relationship, uh, and I know that on this particular issue, it's one that we'll engage with together uh, frequently. Thank you. And Ambassador Gittenstein, you referenced um, the EU-US Trade and Technology Council convening in Pittsburgh. I'm glad Secretaries Blinken and Raimondo and Trade Representative Ty will attend. Uh, and I'm interested in hearing how you think we should move forward, both on that balance uh, that Governor Markell was speaking to and how we work together on a raft of new regulations with the EU on AI and digital platforms as well. I also think on climate and on a border carbon adjustment, we have an enormous opportunity with the EU. I'd be interested to hear your views on these complex issues. Well, I'm as anxious as you are to see what happens in Pittsburgh tomorrow. Um, you know, because I'm not yet confirmed, I'm not cleared on all the pre-decisional pre materials that have been prepared for that, but I can just speak as from my experience, which is I, I first got to know uh, then-Senator Biden working on the FISA statute, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which grew out of the work that I did on the Church Committee. And I know how difficult it is to strike the balance between national security and privacy, but it has, it has to be improved. Indeed, that statute needs to be improved. And, as, as, and the, the Europeans have begun to break new ground in this area with GDPR. I have some questions about how effective that is. Uh, and it needs to, and, you know, because of the Schrems decision, uh, the Europeans are insisting, rightfully, I think, that there be some uh, consolidation of positions between the EU and the United States on those issues. And I think they're going to be difficult issues to resolve. But I intend to put a lot of energy into that. This is just on the digital privacy and security issues. We'll work closely with Jack. Jack and I have become very good friends. And... Uh, I hope we'll meet regularly on this, but uh, the OECD and the EU need to be on the same page, and I will certainly argue for that uh, within the administration and within the EU. Thank you, Senator Flake. Um, you're going to have a difficult balancing act. Uh, there's a lot of issues on which to hold Turkey accountable, um, from Cyprus uh, to repression of religious minorities to the ongoing tense relations uh, with Greece to the Armenian genocide recognition. There's lots of other things in addition to the S-400 uh, and their human rights violations. Um, are there any areas where you think we can actually increase our collaboration partnership and work with them in a positive way or hold that out as a carrot at the same time that you're 
um, holding to a tough line on CATSA sanctions and on insisting that they pull back from their embrace of Russia? Well, thank you. I, as I mentioned uh, in my remarks, uh, there are areas where we have worked with them and uh, continue to work closely with them. Uh, they have pushed back uh, against Soviet or Russian aggression um, in, in Ukraine and with Georgia. They have supported those countries' uh, aspirations to become members of NATO. Um, so they have been useful there. They, they uh, help to some degree uh, with the delivery of humanitarian assistance to Syria. Um, and we're willing to help with regard to Afghanistan and the airport, um, and we're with us uh, to the end there. So there are some things that we can build on. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, there are a lot of issues uh, that are challenging, and uh, we'll work with them where we can, challenge them where we must. Thank you, um, Senator and Mrs. McCain. The chairman, having returned, notes that I have taken great liberties with the time allowed for questioning. Great liberties. I look, uh, <laughs> I look forward to talking with you separately about public-private partnerships and uh, look forward to supporting your important work and the ambassadorship in Rome. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Senator Van Hollen, I understand, is next on our list. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member. Con uh, congratulations uh, to all of you on your your nominations, um, and thank you for your willingness to serve in these important capacities. Uh, and I just want to endorse the comments uh, my colleague Senator Kuhn uh, made with respect to both uh, our ambassador to the EU and OECD. Uh, we do have to dramatically expand the cooperation uh, between the United States and, and these two entities, and, and not just saying it, but taking the practical steps to implement it, uh, especially with respect to uh, the challenge uh, from China um, around the globe, and look forward to working with both of you on that. Mrs. McCain, congratulations on uh, your nomination. Look forward to supporting uh, you in this important post. Um, Senator Flake, great to see you, uh, and uh, appreciate the conversation that we had. Uh, as uh, we discussed, um, I grew up in a foreign service family, uh, spent many of my early years in Turkey, have great affection for the people of Turkey. Uh, but uh, President Erdogan has taken Turkey way off track and in the wrong direction, both with respect to NATO commitments overall, as well as uh, other actions, malign actions uh, in the region, and uh, undermining human rights at home. And I, some of them have already been mentioned. He doubled down just uh, this weekend on national TV here on taking uh, another round of S-400s. Uh, that means that we will continue to uh, discontinue any cooperation on the F-35s, given the security uh, compromises uh, that, that would exist. Um, we need to make sure we implement fully the CATSA sanctions. I understand that you've already said in this hearing that you would support an increase in CATSA sanctions if they proceed with the next purchase. Is that correct? That's correct. You also um, know that uh, Turkey is out to destroy the Syrian Kurds. Would you agree that the Syrian Kurds have been the tip of the spear f for us in our fight against ISIS? They have been an effective partner uh, with us in defeating ISIS, yes. Right. So here we have um, an erstwhile ally uh, trying to destroy the major partner we had in the fight 
against uh, ISIS. Um, I heard my colleagues raise the issue of the situation in Eastern Med uh, and Cyprus. Um, in Cyprus, President Erdogan's going backwards, right? They've now retreated from what had been the agreed upon uh, approach to the talks there, uh, by zonal, by communal approach. And recently, uh, would you agree that his actions in Barosha, you know, violated UN Security Council resolutions? Yes, most definitely. We also have seen him aiding and abetting uh, the attacks uh, against Armenia. Uh, and then at home, uh, an ongoing effort to actually disqualify and ban uh, the HDP, which is the third largest political party in Turkey, is it not? It is. Okay. Um, Senator Langford and I are going to be soon sending a bipartisan letter to the president uh, raising concerns about these issues. But my question to you is this. Uh, president Erdogan has repeatedly taken these actions. He has said very publicly that he doesn't care what the United States says. Doesn't care what we say. He said that just about six weeks ago. So really what matters is what we do. The CATSA sanctions have gotten their attention, although they have not changed their conduct yet, but it is having an impact on their military. With respect to the HDP and actions on Cyprus, what do you propose that we actually do beyond words to get Turkey's attention? Well, thank you. Thank you for the question. And, uh, and let me just say and commend this committee uh, for pushing so hard for CATSA sanctions, Section 231. When people say, you guys talk but don't do anything, this committee and the Congress and the administration did. And it has had an impact, a significant impact on, on Turkey's economy uh, because their defense industry is a big part of their economy. And being out of the F-35 program has hurt. And, and I, they know that. Uh, with regard to other issues, obviously, uh, Cyprus, uh, it was in violation, the, the action um, or the statements that were made in July uh, with regard to Barosha, uh, regard to a two-state solution. There is no two-state solution in Cyprus. As you mentioned, it needs to be a bi-zonal, bi-communal federation negotiated between the parties. That has been our consistent position and it needs to continue to be. Uh, with regard to banning of political parties and some of the other uh, democratic backsliding, uh, we need to make clear, as we have, and continue to make clear, that that is inconsistent with democratic values and inconsistent with commitments uh, that, uh, that have been made. And, and so I, I think that uh, we'll continue to speak out on those issues and continue uh, to act uh, with regard to new arms purchases with additional sanctions. And, and that has got their attention, it has hurt, and it needs to. And I want to commend this committee for doing it. Well, thank you. I, I just hope we'll take those kind of actions with respect to these other um, activities that are being taken. And the EU has an important role to play in concert uh, with the United States. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. I understand Senator Young is with us virtually. Uh, yes, Chairman. Uh, thank you. Ms. McCain, the 
Chinese Communist Party is actively seeking to use uh, UN standard setting bodies to their own unique advantage. From telecommunications, international aviation, and yes, agriculture, the authorities in Beijing understand that the UN specialized agencies possess an outsized ability to help them reshape the global order. If confirmed, how would you use your position to ensure that FAO is actually seeking to accomplish its core missions and that its activities are free from bias, including from its senior leadership? Thank you. Thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, first of all, if I'm confirmed, I will ensure that U.S. leadership and partnerships will not falter on my watch. I'm also concerned about their leadership positions and where they are damaging and undermining organizations with malign influences and nefarious practices. I'll be watching very closely to ensure that the FAO DG is following our leadership, which ensures our values and transparency. Building coalitions to, in, to ensure our leadership remains strong. And I'm also committed to most, most definitely to food safety and its global impact. Uh, best case scenario, and what I'm saying is that there, I'm watching. All right. Uh, thank you for that answer. So the FAO has been doing very important work for a, a number of years, staving off hunger for millions. And um, this has been due in large measure to the resources that it can bring to bear in moments and in places of, of great crisis. Its record in supporting and growing ag capacity and resiliency in the developing world is, however, less positive. One overlooked dynamic at play is the success that regulators overseas, especially within the European Union, have had in keeping US-led ag tools like groundbreaking developments of, of genetically modified crops out of the FAO's toolbox, even as they would potentially reduce the threat of drought and pass from crucial staple crops. If confirmed, how would you seek to ensure that the FAO AO embraces all possible means of supporting the resiliency of agricultural systems, including ones widely practiced in America. In short, how would you seek to ensure that the FAO actually embraces science and furtherance of uh, feeding uh, those who are hungry? Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for the question. Oh, sorry. There, is that, can you hear me? I apologize. Yes. Um, thank you for the question. It is indeed an issue, and it's a problem. Uh, what I would do is, number one, as, as I mentioned earlier, is building coalitions and bringing in more of our technology and our biotech uh, overall, and most of all, making sure that we keep track of uh, not just what our leadership is doing, but how we can best uh, strengthen our ability, our multilateralism, um, our advancement in, in other areas. I, the, the science and technology are key to our ability to be able to help grow more food with less water, grow more food independently, um, uh, build sustainable villages, build sustainable crops. Uh, without yes. that, and I'm, very, I'm a very strong supporter of that, without that, I don't see how we go any farther with it. We're not going to be able to feed the, the multitudes that we have unless well, we consider every option. 
thank you for embracing that. It will require, I think, some robust and, and um, tenacious diplomacy <laughs> to uh, persuade some of our European friends mm -hmm. of, of the merits of, of uh, that position. Uh, but uh, I suspect you're, you're you're going to be doing that. So thank you, <laughs> Senator. I've been compared to a to a Chihuahua before in that I I bite the ankles and bark enough until people listen to me. And so you have my commitment to being not only determined but one that will will follow through and make sure people hear. Thank you, uh, Ms. McCain. I think I have one minute left, and and so I'll very quickly ask a question of Mr. Markle. Uh, uh, Mr. Markle, the members of the OECD collectively produce 60% of the world's goods and services and account for 75% of global trade. Uh, as was indicated earlier, China is not a member, but uh, you indicated I, I think they're uh, seeking membership. I understand that India may also be hesitant to join as they are a, a large but still emerging economy. What would the consequences be for India becoming a member? Uh, and is this something you would advocate for? Uh, Senator, Senator, I'm not sure I um, understand. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're good now. Thank you, uh, Senator. I couldn't understand the in, entire question. I think it had to do with the uh, ascension of uh, other countries into OECD uh, membership. Yes, India in particular. Okay, so. Um, you know, one of the real strengths of the OECD is that its members share a number of common uh, values, not only democracy, not only a commitment to free market systems, uh, but also to a level playing field. Uh, things like a real commitment to anti-bribery, anti to intellectual property protections and the like. The bar for entrance for any new country, uh, including India, is extraordinarily high. Uh, and my commitment is certainly to consult with this committee, but also to, uh, should I be confirmed, to bring to my position at the OECD uh, a real sense that we, we do have a very high bar, which is only met through actions and not words. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair and Ranking Member Rishan. Congratulations to this very finely qualified panel of nominees. I have the good fortune to consider three of you as friends. Jack, uh, you and I worked together as governors and you did such good work as a governor and as chair of the National Governors Association. Um, Jeff Flake, you were a partner on so many initiatives on this committee, somebody I deeply admire and miss as a member. And Cindy, we've worked together and I had the pleasure of sitting with your husband both on this committee and on the Armed Services Committee. And I'll never forget the first time I traveled with your husband, Senator McCain, uh, on a bipartisan delegation, and I think it was to the Middle East, the first press event we did. He said something, and I was stepping to the microphone to dramatically disagree with him. I'd been in the Senate for about two months and, uh, and wondered how he would take it. So I said, I'm going to disagree with you. And he said, get up there and disagree with me. We need to show them that we're not all a monolith here. And we were fast friends from that moment. So thank you all for your service. Ambassador Gintenstein, you're the only one with the good fortune not to have had to work with me in the past. Um, let, let me ask uh, to, to uh, Ms. McCain, the three um, food programs that are based in the UN that you'll work uh, in representing the United States, they've all faced major challenges because of COVID, which both affect donors, um, 
increase food insecurity and then also make the task of delivery of programs more difficult. So if you could share a little bit about the challenges that this last 18 months has meant for these programs and you know, as you're starting into contemplating the position, the kinds of things we should be thinking about from Congress's side to help get through this tough chapter. Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for the question, and I'm glad you survived the trip to the Middle East. We used to be called the McCain Death March, so I'm glad you, you made it through. Um, uh, I, I, I'd like the committee to know that I'm very committed uh, to keeping U.S. leadership within the World Food Program and others. That's of deep importance to me and I think also to the United States. And uh, that's never been more, more present and more, uh, more definitive than the fact that World Food Program won the, the Nobel Peace Prize as a result of the good work that they do. But at U.S. as the largest donor by far, we have to continue to do more. We have to. Whether th it is thinking outside the box, uh, bringing new people in, uh, putting together uh, 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 groups, groups that we can discuss, good ideas, bad ideas, whatever it may be, but, but I'm committed to making sure that we talk to everybody and we understand issues and, and consider new ideas in all of this. Uh, I also want to encourage new donors and more country involvement. Uh, we carry the load of this, which we do brilliantly. But I would like to make sure that we are able to bring in more people, more, more ideas, as I said, and more countries to be a part of this. It's, it, it's important. Our public-private partnerships have to be expanded as well. And uh, I, I've, they do a marvelous job, but I'm very committed to making sure that we, we expand our public-private partnership options here. And also to consider uh, a push for diversity and inclusivity, which is the question, the prior question that you asked me, and more. Um, and most of all, making sure within that uh, uh, diversity and inclusivity that we have a safe, safe workspace for people to work in. And of course, pushing for more technology and innovation in all of this uh, is part of what I, I feel is not only important, but it's imperative in what we do. And, and I'd like to get on the ground and really examine what's going on with the issues that you initially talked about um, and see, see what, what can be done, what changes can be made if that's the case. Thank you, Ms. McCain. I think the uh I think you're very well suited for the position. Senator Flake, um, the questions that I wanted to ask you have generally been covered by my colleagues. But I guess, you know, maybe big picture, here would be something I hope after some time there you might come back and educate us on. The, I think we all share this frustration with the Erdogan government and feel like there, there was some promise at the start and then it's taken this turn in a number of ways that have been hostile to the United States. But friends of mine who are in Turkey basically say it's not that hard to understand Erdogan's position vis-a-vis -vis the United States if you look at the Turkish population's attitude about the United States. Now, these things can self-reinforce, but, but you know, leaders aren't going to be warm and fuzzy to the United States if the populations have a lot of anti-U.S. sentiment. Mm -hmm. And I don't know this as an expert on Turkey, but people I know who are experts point out to me a lot that the Turkish population's view of the United States is is quite negative. And as an ambassador, A, you'd be in a position to dig in and find out if that's true and then share with us why, but also you'll have a unique opportunity with your own diplomatic background from having been in the Senate to having shared why giving us strategies and undertaking efforts yourself to start to turn that around. We're not going to have a government 
that is going to really be a great ally of the United States if their population is, is very anti-U.S. and their public sentiment. And I would look forward to having that conversation with you should you be confirmed. And I'm confident you will be down the road after you've been in Turkey for a while. Thank you very much to the panel. And yield it back, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And congratulations to each of our nominees this morning. We're especially delighted to see our former Senate family back here again. Um, I'm going to begin with you, Mrs. McCain. And, and I would never... I would have identified you more as a Great Dane than a Chihuahua. So um, I've had Afghans since um, the takeover of the Taliban who have said to me that they really hope that the United States and the international community will not um, prevent humanitarian aid from going to the Afghan people because of our opposition to the Taliban. Um, we know there are 14 million people in Afghanistan who are food insecure, 2 million of them children who are malnourished. Winter's coming, so the situation is only going to get worse. So can you talk a little bit about how you will work with the UN, with um, the United States, to ensure that desperately needed food gets to those Afghans who are really in need? Well, thank you for the question, and um, it, it's like like many of you and all of you, I mean, I've watched, uh, having had two sons in Afghanistan, I've watched with great interest and many times great horror uh, seeing what's actually occurring and has occurred there. Um, uh, once again, our most vulnerable are being preyed upon, which is the usual drill in a lot of these countries. Um, the U.S. is the largest single donor, though, to humanitarian assistance within Afghanistan and within the region as well. And we will... I commit that we will continue the life-saving support uh, that those need if I am confirmed. Uh, most of all, I'm I'm, if I'm confirmed, I will support all efforts to ensure that humanitarian assistance and in Afghanistan benefits those that it's going to, which is, is as you know, is, is uh, about trans transparency and the ability to, to really have good partners on the ground. And I will also continue, continue to monitor, monitor, pardon me, monitor uh, what is going on within the country. Um, it's a dicey project, and I know you know that. Uh, it's certainly an evolving situation as well, much like Yemen and Ethiopia right now. And we will continue to work on, on best practices in addressing the needs of the conflict zones in that area. Uh, if, and if I'm confirmed, you have, you have my commitment to do the best I can. Well, thank you very much for that answer. And if I can be helpful, um, please let me know. Thank you. I would rely on the entire committee for help. Absolutely. I know that we're ready to help. Um, Senator Flake, tomorrow President Erdogan is supposed to meet with Vladimir Putin. Um, they're ostensibly discussing cooperation in Syria. And yet... Um, Given the surge of Turkish troops in northwestern Syria to combat Russian airstrikes this week, is there still a threat of a Russian-Turkey joint offensive in Syria, do you think? And how, how should we respond to that in the United States? Thank you, Senator. I, I've not had classified briefing yet. Uh, I've not been confirmed, so I would defer uh, questions to the Department of Defense on the, the possibilities there. Um, 
but the uh, the meeting with with Putin, obviously, uh, Ankara has had at least a transactional relationship with with Russia on a number of issues, as we mentioned, the purchase of uh, weapon systems. Uh, but they've also pushed back in a number of areas as well. Crimea have been consistent in saying that that's part of Ukraine territory and, and uh, selling arms to Ukraine and and, uh, and also supporting uh, Ukraine and Georgia in their sovereignty. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting relationship. I, I, I'll be very interested to see what comes out of that meeting to the extent that we know. Uh, but with regard to Syria... Um, I would defer to, to those who know more than I do right now. Well, I hope when you get confirmed that that will be an area of focus because obviously um, there are real, it's a very difficult situation in the country, as you know. Um, Governor Markell, as you're probably aware, we're having negotiations around tax policy right now. And... It's an issue that the OECD has also been working on. They've had an ambitious framework for how to coordinate tax policy. How optimistic are you that their process can result in agreement, and what should we be thinking about with respect to that um, as we're looking at what we might do on taxation of income of multinational corporations? Well, thank you very much for the question, Senator. Um, since I have not been confirmed, I've not been read into all the details yet. My sense is that it's the Treasury Department that has really taken the lead in those negotiations, but the OECD has an important role to play because it provides so much of the technical uh, assistance. And so should I be confirmed, uh, obviously I'll be supporting the position of the administration, and I look forward to consulting with this committee uh, for your guidance as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, thank you. I know no other members uh, seeking recognition, so I have one or two final questions before we close. Uh, Ms. McCain, uh, you and I spoke about yesterday the reality of, um, in the context of food insecurity, a disproportionate impact upon women and girls, 10% uh, higher among women than with men uh, as of 2019. Uh, so will you make it part of your advocacy upon confirmation for women and girls who have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic-related food insecurity? Yes, Senator, and may I say that, that from my experience around the globe and everything that I have done, uh, in all too often our women and children are disposable. And that's simply, in this case, it's that I don't, I don't buy that, and it's not going to happen. Fine. Thank you. And uh, also, um, and I think you referred to some of your experiences on water and whatnot. A part of our challenge globally in terms of food supply chain is the question uh, of climate change, mm -hmm. uh, which the Food and Agricultural Organization approaches in a national, regional, and global context using the Paris Agreement. Um, as structures through which the uh, entity collaborates with member nations. Uh, I hope that as we're, you know, we, in the first instance, this program is about helping people in need, the emergent nature of it. But the question becomes, once we have a population that we are directly feeding through these programs, there is an opportunity to also change and transform their lives and 
and how we ultimately create more food, as you suggested, with less water. I hope that you will make that uh, a significant part of your mission upon confirmation. Yes. Thank you. Uh, finally, uh, Governor, uh, one of our former colleagues questioned you only about India, but I I'm more interested uh, as well about the uh, expansion uh, of OECD membership. Uh, there are 38 members in the OECD, along with five partner countries and six countries vying to become full-fledged members. Two of those uh, partner countries include China and India. Russia has been trying to get in for several years, but was basically shut out after their invasion of Ukraine in 2014. What are your thoughts on the accession program for countries trying to join the OECD? Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, there should be a very high bar. I mean, the OECD, uh, unlike many other multilaterals, has characteristics and, and, and qualifications for membership, which are very much focused on a commitment to democracy, a commitment to market-oriented economic systems. And it has just never been more important that countries that share those values demonstrate that we can deliver better than those who have other approaches. And so there, there are some who believe that increasing the membership of the OECD is a metric that we should care about. I just, I don't agree with that. I think the OECD is extraordinarily valuable to its member countries. I think it's a great place for convening of like-minded countries. And so I think the bar to accession is extremely high. Thank you. I share your view. Uh, expansion should be based upon those who can meet and share the same values, uh, not just simply for the sake of expansion. So I appreciate that. And the other point about the OECD, I, I am increasingly concerned that the United States is now well, not well positioned to engage in economic statecraft for the 21st century. Um, both including promoting U.S. jobs, business, investments, uh, uh, engaging in development financing for infrastructure, um, and, and setting standards for emergent technologies in the digital economy. These are all incredibly important areas. Um, as well as that, you know, an American company goes abroad uh, and has maybe got the best product, maybe they got the best performance, maybe they got the best delivery, but they can't suborn that foreign government under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Unfortunately, other countries in the world do engage uh, in that process, including uh, countries uh, or companies within the European Union. How, how do you see, view your role uh, in the OECD in both helping us in these different uh, areas of economic uh, statecraft? Well, thank you for that question as well. Uh, my view is that American businesses and American workers can compete successfully anywhere, so long as there's a level playing field. And I believe that one of the most critical uh, goals and pieces of the OECD mission is to, ensure, is to ensure that there is, in fact, a level playing field. The OECD's anti-bribery uh, convention is one of the most important things that the OECD has ever done. It makes it ensures that not only member countries live up to those standards, but it sets a, a model uh, for other countries as well. I know that Senator Cardin on this committee has done some really important work over the years, including the Crook Act, uh, which, he's been, which he's been pushing. 
So whether it is um, things like anti-bribery, whether it's around issues of stopping the theft of intellectual property, whether it's making sure procurement opportunities are available uh, to U.S. businesses. Uh, this is just one of the most important parts of what the OECD does, and I will, if, if confirmed, uh, I will ensure that focusing on a level playing field is at the very top of my priority list. Thank you. And, and I'll just call to your attention, I'm sure you're familiar with this, uh, adherence to the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises, which is a key international framework uh, on responsible business conduct, are required to establish a national contact point to help promote the guidelines to businesses and other stakeholders. Uh, I, I hope that when you're confirmed, you'll work to make that system strong and effective uh, to deal with some of the challenges we've been talking about. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, I understand there's no other members seeking recognition. Uh, with that, uh, with our thanks uh, to the nominees, the record for this hearing will remain open until the close of business tomorrow, Wednesday, September 29th. To colleagues on the committee, please ensure that questions for the record are submitted no later than tomorrow, Wednesday, September 29th. To the nominees, uh, there will inevitably be questions for the record. I'd urge you to answer the questions expeditiously and fully uh, so that your uh, nominations can be considered before a full business committee. And with that, this hearing is adjourned.